Um, we are in a series called Others, um, and uh, just, um, I mean, honestly, just like a little football recap. Uh, shout out to Dalvin Cook, the new leading rusher. Yep. Um, hey, if you, go, if you go here and you're not a football fan, then I just, just got to bear with through the first like minute of every sermon for the next couple weeks, and then you'll be over with. It'll be on the basketball season, and we'll be overhyped and underperformed. Same thing with baseball season. Just kidding. Anyways, um, hey, hey, we're so glad that you're here to this morning. Uh, and this, the series that we're going through, actually in a part three of a four-part series called Others, and uh, one of the things that I really have enjoyed about this series, it's been very personally challenging to me, and the reason is, is oftentimes when we think about a series like others and talking, obviously, about loving and serving other people, it, 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 it's a very, like, fluffy, oh, good, you know, be good people, smile a lot. You know, biggest smile wins, brother. You know, that's kind of the, 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 the thought behind it. It's real soft. It's real ooey-gooey, all that stuff. But each week, we've really challenged the core of an others-focused lifestyle. Um, week one, we simply talked about the reality that as Christians, the reason we serve other people, the reason that we love other people is not because we ought to. It's not because, you know, mama said or grandma said or we know as a Christian that's what we're supposed to do. It is a natural response to the realization of God's love for us. In other words, we realize how deeply God has loved and served us that we can't help but love and serve other people with the same passion and the same humility that we have been served from. And last week we talked about something that was really honestly challenging, especially because of the, you know, the season that we just came out of, where everyone has their views, everyone has their opinions, everyone has their thoughts about what's right, what's wrong, who should be elected, who shouldn't be elected, and on and on. And what's interesting about Jesus when he, as he you know, kind of discusses all this in the Bible, not you know, that specifically, but just discusses loving other people, is what he says is that you're to love and you're to serve, and I'm to love and I'm to serve. And basically the measure of our relationship with God is measured by our love for other people, but specifically the people who aren't like us, the people who don't think what you think, the people who don't believe what you believe, the people who aren't on the same side of the fence as you are. In other words, the more you disagree with me, the more I serve you, regardless of your religious view, the more I serve you, regardless of the view on any cultural topic, the more I serve you, regardless of maybe our differences or our likeness and our political thoughts, you know, ideologies, worldviews, the more I love and serve you, the more you disagree with me is directly proportionate to my relationship with God. In other words, Jesus would say, if you love those who love you, how are you different than anybody Else. And the mark of the Christian ought to be that we actively serve people who we disagree with and are not like. And not a disagreement, it's us versus them and just a simple ideological worldview, theological perspective. That if I at any point in time, for any reason of disagreement between us, stop serving you, I am in sin. Because we love to serve those who serve us. We love to love those who love us. But how good are you as a Christian at serving people who are nothing like you and who you disagree with? Now, this morning, um, it's, it's going to be, it's, it's a, uh, fun is kind of like a weird sadistic type of fun morning, um, if we're being honest. Uh, so in preparation for this whole series, we have a, a, a group of, uh, in our church, it's kind of in our church org chart, um, they're the community outreach portion. They do all of our, and kind of head up all of our um, outreach stuff in terms of, you know, community service. So all of our HOPE program, Project Tallahassee, Lake Ellie, you know, homeless outreach, um, all the different things that we have going on as a church and that, that we're, as we're looking in and planning for more in the future. Um, I 
out of an email and basically said, hey, we're going to be talking about loving, we're going to be talking about serving, we're going to talk about others. You guys are organizationally the ones who really spearhead that for our church. So if you could say one thing, what would you say? If you could, you know, say, you know, the biggest misunderstanding, what would it be? And this was kind of another question that I asked him. I said, if you could say one place or a couple places that you think we have the tendency to be the most selfish and not selfless. In other words, what's the area... As you have experienced in your life, if you have experienced our church, if you have experienced everything in anybody who you've experienced as Christians, what are the places that we have the tendency or the temptation or the habit of being the most selfish when we ought to be the most selfless? You know what all three of them that responded to the email said? Our time and our money. Our time and our money. Our time and our money. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We are going to talk about how we as Christians spend our time and our money. Now, pause. A couple things. As we launch into this, if you're in here and you're not a Christian, here's the good news for you today. You're just visiting, checking it out, not sure if you believe in Jesus, not sure if you believe in the Bible. You are welcome to listen. In fact, you're welcome to apply any of this, but you don't have to because you, you didn't sign up for the same team. In the same way, you know, I, I used this example before, but let's say we're all on a soccer team or you guys are on a soccer team because, you know, I can throw a ball so I don't kick it. So, you know, let's say we're all kind of on that, that, that same life cycle or, or team. If you looked at me and said, hey, you know, you... You know, you didn't run five miles every single day. I'd say, of course, because I don't like to run because I'm not on a soccer team. I didn't sign up for the same team as you did, and so I don't have to be held to the same standard as you do or to the same you know, set of rules and all that kind of stuff. So if you're in here, you're not a Christian, you're on, the, you're on the fence, here's the good thing. I'm glad you're here. You can look at all the other Christians today. You can look at the Christian who brought you and say, yeah, you ought to do that, <laughs> but I'm doing whatever I want. So that's the good news for you this morning. Um, but if you're in here and you're a Christian, this is, like a, this is like an internal family conversation. This is like, you know, it, it, it might get a little bit tense. And let me just tell you, just to kind of front load this with a bunch of uh, hesitancy. Um, at some point, you're going to say, you know, I don't agree. I don't think you're right. I, you know, whatever, whatever, all this kind of stuff. Let me just tell you, feel free to email me afterwards, you know, been at dcctally.com. I'd love to hear all the reasons I'm wrong. But I just want you to listen for a second and say, hey, is there some truth to this? Some of us don't think that we ought to talk about, you know, money in the church, time in the church, our resources in the church. <laughs> and that's kind of silly. That's like saying, hey, our offensive line is incredible about jumping off sides, so let's not talk about it, you know. It'll fix itself. Right, 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 because that, that, that always happens, you know. Oh, we are just so good at tackling on defense, so let's just not talk about it. You know, it's like, come on, come on. If there are issues, come on, honestly, if half the church that was married was cheating on their wives or their husbands, and we didn't talk about it, you guys would be like, that church is ridiculous. There are huge things that going on that we need to talk about in terms of hard obedience that we would talk about. So we are going to talk about it. So again, if you're here, you're visiting, man, we just are so thankful that you're here. You get to be a part of a family conversation and see how family kind of talks to each other. So you're the friend at the dinner table when something just happened between mom and dad and stuff got real awkward, okay? So that's this morning for church. So... We're going to go, we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking. Now, this is a, this is a passage or a part of passage um, that, that, that many of us are familiar with. Uh, if you weren't around church, then I'll give you a little background. This is what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Um, perhaps you've heard of it. Jesus is talking. Um, in fact, Matthew 
is a guy who followed Jesus around and is recording um, some stuff that Jesus talked. Now, this is Jesus' um, most well-documented sermon. And in his well-documented sermon, he goes over a number of different subjects as he launches into a bunch of different topics and ideas as it related, again, to his followers. And so as he launches into topics, he talks about prayer just before this. He talks about fasting just before this. And then he starts to talk about something that is near and dear to all of us, which is our treasure. Now, when we say treasure, we're going to broadly define that specifically for us as our time, in our money, our time and our money. And he starts to give us some principles or some ideas behind how we spend and why we spend our time and our money as Christians the way that we ought to. So, get your Bible, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. So, do not, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. In other words, he's Start by saying this. You have a choice. You have a choice. You have treasure. Whether you realize it or not, you have treasure. Whether you think I have a lot treasure or a little treasure, we all have treasure. In fact, let me just kind of tell you. You live in America. And whether you think it's already great or we want to make it great again, you have money. Let me just tell you. If you ever own a car, like your own car, you are in the top 10% of the world. 90% of the world looks at you and wishes they were you. We are the rich folk. So Jesus launches in and says, hey, let me just tell you. You all have treasure. We all have treasure. Now, we can all name people who have more treasure than us, but that's not the question. We all have treasure. So so let me just kind of give you a, a basic idea. Number one, you are going to invest your treasure somewhere. You are going to invest your treasure somewhere. And you have a choice. To either invest your treasure in something that is eternal or something that is temporal. You have an opportunity. Every time you get whatever it is that you get, every time you get your paycheck, every time you get your student loan, every time you get your financial aid, every time you get your whatever you get, you have an opportunity to invest it in eternal or temporal. And here's why that matters. 4 verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, you want to know where your heart is, look at where your treasure is. You want to know where your heart is, look at where your treasure is. Mark used to get up here and give the offering talk uh, pretty, pretty often. He used to talk about this, this idea. He says, man, if you were to look at my life, um, a lot of times... If you were to judge where my heart is based on where my treasure is, my heart would be um, in Verizon, Comcast, and Publix. Like, those are the three places that my heart remains most constant. Now, now, now here's, here, here's what's interesting. Let me just, you know, again, Christian-specific. How in the world can we as Christians say our heart is for God? God, I love you. We're just saying, Jesus, I love you. You are the one thing our heart adores. How can we as Christians say our heart is for God And our heart is for other people. When the only thing that God said was indicative of our heart, which is our treasure, is completely spent on ourselves. How can I say, honestly, I have a heart for other people if all of my money is budgeted for myself? How can I say, all of my heart is for God, my heart is to serve and love other people? If all of my time is around what I have to get done today. 
And we can justify that by throwing out, oh, I serve at a project, Tallahassee. I, you know, when the offering plate comes around, you know, I throw a couple bucks here and there, you know, just kind of whatever. That's not your heart. That's not your heart. He says, come on. You have an opportunity to decide. What are you going to invest in? What's eternal or what's temporal? What's eternal or what's temporal? And how in the world can we as Christians say that we are for eternal when all of the things that are indicative of our heart are spent on what is temporal? Now, we love to talk about other people when it's like, oh, I'm just going to go serve. I'm going to go love people who are experiencing homelessness. I'm going to go love and I'm going to serve. Let me just tell you. And the things that matter as a Christian, are we really... Others focused? Or are we others focused in thought, but deep down in our heart, not? See, he continues on, he says this. He says, The eye is the lamp of the body. Now, by the way, if you're kind of new to the Bible, this is the part where you read the Bible and you're thinking, man, what in the world is Jesus talking about? Because the first part and the part we're going to come to at the end all have to do with the same thing. Then he gives this really odd example. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how then, how great is the darkness? (laughs) To which we say, okay, next verse. I have no clue what that means. Here's what he was saying. What your eye is set on will determine what the rest of you, how you see things, how you view things, will determine the actions of your life. In other words, if your eyes are set on eternal, then your body, your entire life will follow that thought process. If your eye, if your heart is set on temporal, then your entire body, your entire life is going to follow that process. And you and I have, again, a decision to make. Will it be temporal or will it be eternal? He says, come on, come on. What do you see? What do you think about? How do you view life? How do you view your stuff? How do you view your time? How do you view your money? How do you view your talent to be used for you or to be used for God? Because for many of us, if we're being honest, our entire budget revolves around us and all of our time goes into financing our budget, which is again spent on us. And we say, we love God, we love other people. But the one thing that's indicative of our heart that Jesus points out in Scripture is completely spent on us. Now, with that, with that, Jesus kind of bookends this thought process. And he says, so no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. This is the part where Jesus not just sticks the knife in, but just kind of turns it. He basically says, hey, either you will have money or your money will have you. Either you will spend your money and you will leverage your money and you will see your time to be used for the kingdom of God. Or it will consume you. It will Drive you. Now, at the end, he just kind of says this easy and simple phrase, which is that you cannot serve both God and money. Now, let me kind of make a couple of disclaimers here. Does this mean that God is opposed to you making money? Absolutely not. In fact, God has given many people in this room the ability to make money. But here's the difference. When I view it from an eternal and not a temporal, when I view it from an other's focus, not a personal focus, the reason 
that I make money is not to make myself healthy, wealthy, wise, and comfortable. The reason I make money is to invest in other people. The reason I make money is to invest in the kingdom of God. The reason I make money, come on, if you're in here and you're a business owner, the reason we want to make money isn't so that we can just live and however we want to and just, you know, comfort. The reason that we want to be profitable, the reason at the end of the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, year year in, year to day, we want to have a profit and a big profit and the profit and loss statement is not so just so we can have a bottom line that adds to our bank account. It's so that we can have a bottom line that adds to the kingdom of God. God's not against making money at all. And in fact, if you make a bunch of money, let me just tell you, you should never feel bad. You know what you should feel? Responsible. Responsible. Because God's not opposed. In fact, God has given you the gift and the ability to do that. With the goal being that your heart and my heart would be so for other people that we can't help but give to God. Because let me just push this a little further. If we are, in fact, others-focused, how in the world can we claim to be others-focused, have a heart for other people as a church, if everything that we have is focused around ourselves? See, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, um, the, the early church got this. In fact, you can go flip over if you got your Bible. Acts, chapter 2, the early church understood this. In the book of Acts, let me give you a little history lesson or background to it. The book of Acts, chapter 2, um, Jesus has died. Uh, he just ascended back up into heaven. He says, you know, I want you guys to wait around for the Holy Spirit to come down. Holy Spirit comes down at the beginning of Acts, chapter 2. Um, the, you know, people start speaking in different languages and all that kind of stuff happens. And then all of a sudden, Peter stands up and gives this sermon. Lots and lots of people get saved. They say, so what should we do? You know, now we believe in Jesus. He says, I want you to repent and I want you to be baptized. And on the tail end of that, verse 42 starts to count. So this is what happens. This is what happened when the early church had nothing but the teachings of Jesus to go on. They had no New Testament. It wasn't this book. They had some of the Old Testament stuff. All they had was this kind of idea of what Jesus taught, what Jesus said, and the belief that Jesus was the resurrected Son of God. So this is what happens, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and prayers. In other words, and so what they did was they realized, if we believe in this, if we believe in this, we are going to devote ourselves to knowing what Jesus said. We're going to devote ourselves to the apostles' teachings. The apostles were the people who followed Jesus around. They were the original disciples, the OG disciples, if you will. And so we're going to follow them around. We want to know everything that Jesus said, because that's critical. And we're going to have fellowship. In other words, we're going to spend time with each other because we want to spur each other on. We want to grow. That wasn't an exclusionary idea. That was a simple idea. of We want to edify each other. To the breaking of the bread into prayers. And it all, verse 33, came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 45, and this is what's interesting. On the tail end of that, it wasn't that an apostle got up and said, so this is what you should do, this is how much you should give. This is what happens, verse 45. And, all, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any has need. In other words, when they saw this, and they devoted themselves to God, They came to this realization that Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God. They came to this realization that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. And God had so graciously given them everything when he gave their one and only Son. And, in fact, God had provided everything that they couldn't help but to give back to each other in generosity. 
in a wave of generosity, unexpected generosity, flowed through the early church. Now, I know at this point you've got like a thousand reasons I'm wrong, so I get that. Let me kind of press a couple things. A couple thoughts and a couple objections. Again, if you're here, you're not a Christian, you're just kind of, you know, checking this whole thing out. This, you know, you're welcome to listen. You're welcome to apply anything you want to. This is, in fact, why when we um, start every uh, giving time, offering time, um, we start by saying, hey, if it's your first time here, or if you're new here, if you're not, you know, you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, feel no obligation to give, because here's the thing. We don't expect you to give to something that you don't believe in. Just point blank. I wouldn't give to something that I don't believe in. So we have no expectation for you to give something that you believe in. But if you're here, and you are a Christian, especially, you're a Christian, and you are a regular attender at DCC. So like insider, insider conversation real quick, okay? Everybody else, earmuffs. Here's the deal. Sometimes, just to be honest, there's skepticism around giving to the church. And I want to address that. If you can't trust the church with your money, you deserve to go to a different church. If you can't trust a church with your money, your money, your time, your resources are indicative. They are directly connected to your heart. And if you can't trust a church with that, then you deserve to go to a different church. How in the world can we, as Christians, say, I am going to trust you with the shepherding of my spiritual life? with the discipleship, with the furtherance and the future of my spiritual life, with the direction of my spiritual life, but I am not going to trust you with my money. Your spiritual life is of so much greater consequence than your resources. Whether you go to this church or another church, if you can't trust a church with your money, you deserve to go to a church that you can trust. Number two is if you're in here and um, your skepticism is, well, how do I know the church is doing good things with my money? That's reasonable. One, that goes back into the trust category. But two, let me, let me, just, let me just be real honest with where we are as a church. Um, as a church, I say this from a perspective that we don't need your money. We don't need, well, pause. Sorry, I'm having like three different thoughts at one time. I'm, I, I got diagnosed with ADHD about six months ago took some medicine this morning, but anyways, it still just kicks up every once in a while. So let me just say this first. Let me say this first, okay? Great steward. Yeah, I'm going to give you all the money. Sure, sure, sure. Anyways, so, 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 so here's the thing. Number one, if you think God needs your money, you have an incredibly small view of God. God does not need your money. Even the rocks will cry out. If God, God, I mean, if God wanted your money, let's, let's be honest, he's God. He could take it. He could take it. All of our money is susceptible to things outside of our control, of market conditions. All of our things are outside of our control, to all kinds of ideas, to policies, to markets, all those things. When we think we have, you know, whatever, and then all of a sudden the Great Recession hits, and everybody says, where did my money go? If God wanted your money, he could take it. But let me tell you, God wants us to honor him with our hearts, hearts as we give that to him. And God does not need our money. To be transparent as a church, we don't need your money. This isn't a, a, a sermon that it's like, hey, if people don't give two months from now, we can't pay our bills anymore. Absolutely not. If we just continued on per person giving and we just stuck our head in the sand and did nothing different, we would be fine as a church. In fact, we could go into our new building, we could pay our new building, and we could continue to pay rent and continue our staff as we have without anybody giving any more. So this is not about us getting any more money. Let me tell you what this is about. This is an issue of obedience to our Heavenly Father. 
And this is about an opportunity that we have to invest in the kingdom of God. This is about an opportunity that we have to say, God, our hearts are for you. Our lives are for you. Let me tell you a couple interesting statistics. Number one, we are one of the only churches that I know of any church, I mean, just, just kind of that I know of, that has about 500 adults or, you know, 18-year-old plus, you know, adults. You get what I'm saying? So you act like 13. But, you know, they're the only place with adults, with adults that has a church of about 500 people that has one full-time staff person. William is our only executive director. We have a rent that's so low, other churches talk to us and look and say, how in the world is your rent so low? Truthfully, it's because we built the place. But outside of that, let me just tell you, we have a church. We have an opportunity to invest. That the reality is, of, a, of all the churches in America, 80% have either plateaued or are declining. Of the 20% that are growing, 14% are not growing at the rate that their community is growing. In other words, only 6% of the churches in America today are growing faster than the community around them. And let me tell you, we over the last three years have grown by over 500%. And that is much because of you. In fact, completely because of you. But you have an opportunity to invest in a place, in a kingdom of God that is making a difference in the community around you. You have a place to invest that is not simply going to pay our light bill. In fact, I know kind of some sideways things about you know, the church is, okay, you're getting up there and you're talking about you're the pastor. Of course you're going to talk about this because you make money. Let me just tell you, for the last four years, in fact, until about six months ago, I made zero dollars from the church. I made all of my money off of a meat company that my family owns. I spent Monday through Thursday out in Cottondale. I pastored the church for free. For the last about six months, I got paid. Man, you guys wouldn't believe my salary. I make a, many people, most pastors won't tell you this. I make $100 a month. You guys pay for about a ninth of my daughter's daycare. Every man, it's just so unbelievable, you know? Now, the church is talking about paying me more, but let me, let me just be honest. We spend so little on people, or not people, <laughs> take that back. We spend so little on staff, we spend so little on overhead, and we spend so much on the community, we spend so much on programs, we spend so much percentage-wise on outside places, on outside people, on people that may never walk into our building on a Sunday morning. Because our heart behind our church is for other people. And if you don't trust us, that's fine. You deserve to go to a place that you trust, that they're going to steward that well. My wife and I give, and by the way, you can give to outside places too. We, we give to people who are missionaries across different places. We give money to you know, nonprofits and here locally that we believe in. We give money to a, a number of you know, compassion kids, all that kind of stuff, just like many of you do. And that's not to say, hey, look at us. It's just to say, hey, this. Our heart is for people and for you. You might not make a lot. You might not make but 50 bucks a month. You might look at my 100 and say, man, I wish I had your job. No, you don't. But let me tell you. The idea that you have to make a lot to give is rooted in the idea that God needs your money. The truth behind The reality of Christians investing their time and investing their money in the kingdom of God is so incredibly simple. It is because it is indicative of our heart. It is connected to our heart. One of my favorite things that I hear is when I hear of college students 
who signed up online and they decided to do some kind of a reoccurring giving and they're giving five bucks a month, ten bucks a month. And I'm knowing they're making a hundred bucks a month. Maybe they're making 70 bucks a month. Maybe they're making 200. But they are giving regularly and consistently to the kingdom of God. And their heart is for God. And their heart is for people. Let me just tell you. You have an opportunity, just to be frank, that 94% of churchgoers in America don't have. You have an opportunity to invest in a church. Even if you don't, man, you can go get to another church. But just our church specifically, let me tell you. You have an opportunity to give to not only the 6%, but of all the people in America. You know what's the most reached and de-churched group of people in America? 18 to 30 years old. You know who we reach? <laughs> Look around. 18 to 30 years old. You have an opportunity to reach kids on the south side who are growing up without the educational background, without the educational emphasis that many of you were raised in. You have an opportunity to reach kids who perhaps are growing up in poverty. You have an opportunity to reach students who are growing up in in many of which are are single mother, head of household, and mom's out doing the best that she possibly can. And whoever's left to raise is left to raise. That we have an opportunity to speak life into, to speak truth into, to mentor, to come alongside of those parents and to love those students. You and I have an opportunity. And for us, as a church, as a group, My heart, my hope in this whole thing is not the end of this. It's like, okay, so at the end of this, here's the application. We're all going to, you know, stand back up. We're going to sing two more songs. We're going to pass the basket around. And there's another, you know, person writing a check, which none of us really even carry checks anymore, you know. This is like the typical at the end of this thing. um, The pastor says, okay, we're going to take up one more offering. and Whatever you have in your mind to give, add a zero to that, and God's going to bless you. No, he might not. You might give all your stuff away. He might not bless you. But it's not about that. It's about you and I understanding that we, on terms of a return on investment, have an opportunity to invest in something that will never fade or that will fade in the next six months. In this kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus, that will reverberate through the corridors of heaven for the rest of eternity. That we believe so deeply that God gave us his one and only son to forgive us of all of our sins, to forgive us of all of our transgressions, of all of our trespasses. We believe so deeply that we serve a God who died on the cross for us, but didn't simply die, was raised in newness of life when he overcame the grave, when he came back to life. It's this realization that he, God, became flesh, dwelt among us, died on a cross, and rose from the grave in order to give me newness of life, in order to forgive me of all of my sins. And there is nothing more worthy of my investment than that. And that is the lens through which we view all of our time, all of our resources. And everything we have. I mean, come on. What if the church, what if our church so deeply believed this? That deep down, in the most difficult, perhaps the most selfish, We were so extraordinarily generous. Not because the church needs it, but because our heart is for God and for other people. 
that this idea of loving God, making disciples, being great neighbors wasn't just a sweet mission statement for our church. But it was the thing that we took time, money, talent, and invested in. Strategic investment. Budgeted investment. How different? How much more integrity and character would the church have? How many more people could we bless and help and love? How much greater of an impact could the church have if we actually didn't just talk about being others-focused, but deep to the core, had a heart for other people, and it sprang out in a generosity for other people. So, I'll end, I'll end with this for real this time. I know probably at this point there's, you know, there's some thoughts, there's some, you know, things that you think, okay, well, if you, you know... I, I disagree, and I still don't think the church should talk about this. That's fine. That's your perspective. If you, if you just completely disagree with me, you're welcome to email me, ben at dcctally.com. May or may not email you back. But come on. Before you go and you have a conversation and you disagree, you don't think church people should talk about this. Let me ask you this. Let me just press this one thing. If you really are pushing back against this whole thing, let me ask you to ask this one question. Why? Why? You see, here's my experience. We as Christians push back against things that we're disobedient in. Never had anybody that when we talked about spending time with God daily, push back against the idea of having God daily when they were having time with God daily. Never had someone who was living in relational purity who thought, you know what, I'm single right now and I have a girlfriend and we are being honoring to God in our physical relationship. And I don't think you should talk about how purity outside of marriage leads to, leads to uh, relational intimacy inside of marriage. Perhaps the things that we push back against are the things that we personally struggle with. And I'm not saying that's you. But I'm saying maybe. So here's what I want you to do. We're not going to take up an offering. We're not going to pass a basket. We're not going to sing any more songs. I'm just going to pray and we're going to leave and we're all going to be you know, equally like, I'm not going to that church ever again. Here's, here's, here's what I want us to do. Is it possible? Is it possible? Is it possible that the reason that we don't give, that the reason we could look at our budget every week, budget every month, budget at the end of the you know, semester, year, whatever it is, and realize that our hearts are for ourselves is really because deep down we are not selfless we are not others focused we are others focused when it's easy for us but we are not selfless we are selfish is it possible that our heart is not for other people so here's what i want you to do i want you to leave and simply ask this question how's my heart how's my heart how's my heart at the end of the day, it's not give more, it's house my heart. At the end of the day, it's not budget more, it's house my heart. Those things all naturally flow from the condition of your and my heart. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, so difficult, so um, uncomfortable. God, but I pray 
that each one of us who is a Christian, each one of us who considers ourselves a follower of you, who has devoted our life to you, who has come to the realization personally that you, God, came, became flesh, that we, in and of ourselves, could not earn our way into your good graces. You saw that, provided a way through that by sending your son to become flesh, to have teachings, to, to have incredible teachings, to have incredible miracles, to substantiate the claims that he was, in fact, the Messiah. And the Messiah died on the cross for us. God, you gave everything when you gave us that. And so, God, I ask and I pray that for those of us who have placed our faith, our hope, and our trust in that, wouldn't be that we walk out today with a decision just simply to give more. We would have a heart realization that you have given us so much. We are so deeply impacted by your love. We are so deeply impacted by your selflessness. It would respond out of us a sense of selflessness. God, that the thing that would define the church wouldn't be simply the way that we serve other people who weren't like us. Wouldn't be the way that we simply existed in relationship with the people who weren't like us. That we would give towards ministry of loving and serving. We would give the places that it's hard, the places that it's difficult, our time, our money, our talent, our resources, our treasure, and that you would unleash a wave of generosity that would impact your kingdom as you first impact our hearts. So God, make us just an unbelievably generous church who gives, who loves, who serves, and who is focused on other people as we've been impacted by you, our heavenly Father. God, thank you so much. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.